0: So today, we're beginning a new series called Underrated. Uh, We just finished off our former series called Overrated. And Overrated, uh, what that series was about was examining some assumptions that we place on certain attributes or characteristics that we feel allows a person to be more qualified or equipped in following God than other qualities. Uh, In this series, what we'll be examining together is identifying certain attributes or characteristics that we tend to underrate in our walk with Christ. And because we underrate those things, it actually impedes our growth and our deepening experience of who God is and His power at work in our lives and through our lives. So I want to begin by sharing a passage with you that will set the foundation for the, uh, for the main passage that we'll be going over together in Matthew chapter 7. So th- here's this intro passage that I want us to examine together and it's from Proverbs 29 verse 18. And for this passage, I've chosen the King James Version. I felt that uh, I really liked the way that it was um, translated there. And in Proverbs 29, 18 and the King James says this, Where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, people perish. I found this to be extremely relevant and applicable to what many people are experiencing today. You know the challenges and some of the barriers that the pandemic measures have caused for our daily life, for our finances, for our social leisures. It has served as a wake-up call to really re-examine in ourselves this verse where there is no vision, people perish. You see, if our vision, if we look at the vision that we've had, and and some of this, uh, some of our life vision, it may be subtle, it may be subconscious, but this pandemic has served to help draw some of that out because some of us, we may have noticed that our vision of life is limited to a daily life without constraints. So we, we don't have this kind of big overall vision, but at least during, before the pandemic happened, we felt like we had a daily life or we had control of our daily life without so many constraints. And that's how we lived. For some of us, our vision of life was about making money and it's all about finances. For others of us, it may have been about unhindered access to social leisure. So I work hard, so I deserve to play hard. And when that was taken away, we recognized that our vision of life really is all preoccupied with those short bursts or moments where we can really extend ourselves to have fun with other people. See, then, this pandemic. If we were prevented from having those social leisures, from having that daily life, that that unhindered access to daily life that we wanted, or um, a barrier to making money, this pandemic it probably caused some of us to feel like something is dying inside. I feel like I'm perishing, and sometimes it's because we feel like our vision of life. Has been taken away. Where there is no vision, people begin to perish. But here's a challenge that we are met with. We have to ask ourselves have we been living with a vision that has been limiting us from experiencing the fullness of life? You see, if we live with a vision that is greater than these things, then despite some of the things that we've experienced, despite constraints, despite limitations, despite restrictions, we can withstand the tedious and still find joy and purpose in our life that we live no matter what comes our way. So let me share this illustration with you. There's a man that was going for a walk on a hot summer day. And he passed by three workers who were making bricks. And he asked them, what are you doing? The first worker, as he was working, he just sighed. And the way that he responded to the question, is he says, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm making bricks. The second worker, he turned and he responded this way. He says, hey, we're building a wall. And then the third worker chirped up very happily. And, and I, it seemed like he was a little bit too happy for the menial task that he was doing. And he says this, I'm building a cathedral. And it's going to be one of the most beautiful cathedrals of all time. See, brothers and sisters, when we look at the three different responses of people who were doing the exact same thing, We recognize that a vision that directs why we do tedious disciplines, why we do certain things, it matters. The bigger picture of why we do certain things, it matters. Our tasks may be similar, but our vision provides us with a greater purpose and outlook as to why we do what we do. In the same way, when we're looking at our relationship with God, there will be times when it just feels as tedious as making bricks. It feels like every week we're going to church. Every week we, we feel like this, this kind of obligation to be part of a small group or to go to a Bible study or to join a prayer meeting. And we feel like it's over and over again the same repetitive thing, but we get very little reward that comes from it. Because what we expect or what we want is an immediate and adequate compensation to make it feel like all of the tediousness is worth the effort. So the way that we answer the question, so why do we, just like the question, what are you guys doing? Why are you making bricks? The way that we answer the question, why do we continue to go to church? Why do we continue to strive to be part of a small group discipleship. Why do we continue to read our Bibles and see the need to pray? It reveals whether the vision that we carry is adequate or requires adjustment. So just like the brick workers, our answer to the, vision, uh, to the question above generally falls into like three different categories for most Christians who are following after Jesus Christ. The first group, just like the first group of brick makers, they say, you know, why are you making bricks? And they say, can't you just see? I'm just making bricks. That's my life. Uh, the, the way that Christians may answer that question, why do you go to church? Why do you keep up with your Christian disciplines? Sometimes our answer or our vision for that is simply because that's what Christians are supposed to do. It's a very inadequate vision of why we follow Christ. That's just what Christians do. And because I'm a Christian, that's what I do. Another group, the second tier group who says, I, I'm building a wall. They're a little bit better. Their vision is a little bit Higher, but it's still inadequate. What they would say is it's because of this. The church meets certain spiritual needs and keeps us balanced. And so we, our vision of why we do certain things in the Christian life is simply that, to keep myself balanced with the rest of my life and I acknowledge that it meets certain spiritual needs. Now what about the third group? When we look at the third group where the... The guy happily exclaims, despite his tedious disciplines, and he says, I'm building a cathedral. And it's going to be beautiful. The third group of Christians, they say this, why do we keep up with these tedious disciplines? And the answer to the way that they respond in general is, I've been called to help participate in building the kingdom of God. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. You know, you notice that having a vision of faith that falls within the first two categories will never be adequate to keep us motivated or to see this greater purpose of why we commit to tedious disciplines. You see, without an adequate vision, our faith life begins to die. Just as Proverbs says, Without an adequate vision, our even our faith life begins to die. So at this point, I want us to take a break, and I want us to go into our breakout rooms, and in our breakout rooms, as we prepare ourselves for uh, the passage that is at hand and our exploration of Matthew chapter 7, I want you guys to reflect on these two questions. The first one is, so what's your reflection on Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision, people perish? How do you respond to that? When you hear that, does that make sense? Is this something that is, is opening up your minds to certain things? Share that. Um, after you've shared that, or if you feel like, you know what, I, I haven't really formed an opinion on that, here's another question that you can go through. Is Do you feel there is a connection between our ultimate faith vision, or in other words, why we do Christian things, with the level of satisfaction we experience in our relationship with Christ. So is there a connection, a correlation between here's our faith vision and what we experience, the level of satisfaction that we experience in our relationship with Jesus Christ? So let's, I want to invite us, as we keep that in mind, this, where, where vision, um, where we see where there is no vision, The people perish. Let's keep that in mind as we go over and we read our passage for today in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. So I'll read it for us. Uh, For this passage, I'll be reading it from the NIV. It reads this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. with a great crash. Father, I pray that as we go through your word today, I ask that our hearts and our minds may be opened to what your spirit wants to share with us. May we be open, Father Lord, to how you want to challenge us. May we see the things that we do not see, but you see in us, Lord. May you bring back to life That which needs to beat again after your own heart. So bless us with your spirit. Move within us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, all of us, we've heard that parable before. We're very familiar with the wise and the foolish, um, foolish builder parable. And we see, and the, uh, most of the time we get the main lesson that is behind that. Is that yes, we need to anchor our life on Christ. And yes, a house that's built on a firm foundation is more secure than a house that's built on sand. But if we lose sight on why... We are called to spend so much energy, so much time on the tedious task of digging deep past the sandy foundation. Deeper until we hit a rock bed upon which we can anchor the foundation of this house. Unless we have a greater vision of why we're doing that. For a lot of us, it's so easy to end up cutting corners in our Christian life. It's so easy for us to get so bitter as we see other people around us and their houses or their lives being built up and and having the things that we want, yet we're still stuck in building this foundation of anchoring it deep within. It's so easy to get bitter because we feel like while, while others are advancing, we have nothing to show for all of the tedious hard work That we're actually doing. You see for a lot of us. It's difficult to continue on in the Christian life. And why a lot of us we experience. This kind of deadness in our spirit. This deadness in our engagement with Christ. As we continually commit ourselves to Sundays. And life groups. And Bible studies. And community groups. All these kind of stuff. As we continue to do this. We find our own faith nature. Perishing. disengaging. Now notice how Jesus begins this parable. He says this, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So what are these words of Jesus? He mentions two things. hears these words of mine and then puts them into practice. That's what he says is anchoring on the rock. So let's first examine together, what does it mean to hear these words of Jesus? Well, if we look at Matthew chapter 4, at the end of it, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Matthew describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry in in the sense, by summarizing it, now Jesus began to preach the good news of the kingdom. It's found in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. So what did he begin to preach? Or what was this good news that he was preaching whenever he went around so that people would hear these words of Jesus? Well, right when Matthew 4 ends, it goes in into a sample of some of the sermons and some of the engagement Jesus had with the people around him. We all know chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that Jesus shares, and he begins to talk about, here are kingdom practices, or here is what you need to do, and it feels like tedious disciplines. We all know the aspects, we've heard them before. Be poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, Hunger and thirsting for righteousness; those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, the those who are persecuted for righteousness. The light be the light and salt of the earth. We have to learn how to give. That uh, we have to learn the discipline of prayer. We have to learn about fasting, and we don't. We need to cast off those worries about not having enough, and learning how to trust in God. Uh, this constant ask seek and knocking that Jesus calls us to do because it feels like every time we ask every time we seek and every time we knock it feels like the door is not opening and Jesus value of telling us keep on doing that and then also finding the narrow gate rather than the wide gate and learning how to walk through it despite everyone else going through the wider path and before today's pa- right before today's passage We also see Jesus teaching the people this one concept. He says, you know how a lot of us say, Lord, Lord, and they assume that they are followers of me. They assume that we have a relationship with him. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is actually a part of the kingdom. He shares this to to become the launching pad into understanding the passage that we have today. He says, it's true that when you have two houses, one built on sand, one built on rock, on the outset, you can't tell any difference. Both look the same. Right? So this Christian who built it on sand and this Christian who built it on rock, it looks exactly the same. By observing from the outside, you can't tell any difference. But what Jesus says Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or for those who are foolish builders and build their faith life on sand, he says, we do not experience the kingdom of God. See, Matthew, he wants to make sure that the wise builders have genuine faith that's actually built on him. The Lord, Lord, people are the people that try to fast track their faith, and although it may look the same on the outside, it lacks the necessary depth and roots to offer them any source of true security and true fulfillment that God wants to uh, wants people to experience in His kingdom. See the difference in depth. And rootedness is, Jesus says, the practice. Anyone who hears these words of mine, he says, don't just hear it. Those who just hear these words of his but does nothing about it are people who are building their house or their faith life on sand. He says, what needs to happen, he says, and puts them into practice. This continually putting into practice the tedious discipline of continually doing the same thing over and over again because we trust him. He says that is the digging and the anchoring on the rock. It helps us dig through and keep on digging through until we hit the rock. See, it's learning not just the value of hearing God's word, but to do it and to keep on doing it. It's not just this on and off whenever we feel like it or whenever it's convenient. We make it our life habit. So when we look at Matthew chapter uh, 7 verse 25, Jesus explains the reason why the house of the wise builders remains standing despite all of the rainfall that comes, despite all of the flooding that rises up, and despite all of the wind that wants to try to knock it over. It says it finds its foundation On the rock. Now, this is really important. The reason why this is important is what I'm not saying is this. When Jesus says, those of you who practice, it's the digging part and the digging part, the practice in itself is not the anchoring on the rock, the practice is to get to the rock. Do we understand that? I just want to make sure that we get it. Because some people may hear this as just saying, okay, we just need to practice it and we just keep the same routine over and, over and over again and that's anchoring on the... No, the practice is digging through all of the impediments that are in the way to, so that we can get to the rock. The practice is not the rock itself. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus tells Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. So he brings up that illustration again, saying I will secure my church where nothing will overcome it. He says even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, Jesus again is saying that no matter what rains come, no matter what floods rise up, no matter all the winds that batter, uh, uh, batter against this church, against our faith, it will not overcome it because it is founded on this rock. Jesus tells Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. What is this rock? Well, the rock is the testimony that people come to give. And Peter gave this testimony in Matthew 16, 16, where he says, where Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, what the anchoring is, the practice, it gets us to the rock. But what that rock is and that anchoring nature that we need to get to is for our personal testimony, our personal mindset, our personal experiences, everything that leads to this one thing, which is a true statement that comes out of our very being that says, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. If we look at our life, we'll notice that a lot of our life, it misses that. Where Jesus, we don't really believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, in certain aspects of our life. We feel like there's other factors that are more powerful, more important than Jesus. And it's when that testimony happens, and as we keep practicing, and we keep digging, and in that digging, we experience This is who Christ is. And I can have my full faith and trust in Him. That's when we declare in our own being... You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In our workplace you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In our finances you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In our relationship you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In our hopeless natures or in our darkened mindset. In our health issues you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says in that we anchor ourselves to the rock. And he says, no amount of flooding, no amount of rain, no amount of all of these other things that come into our life will overcome you, he says. See, the mindset that he gives, how do we get to that place? What is this over-encompassing vision? Why do we want to keep digging so that we can get to that rock? It's because the vision that directs that process the reason why some of us we feel like we're perishing in our faith is we lack a greater vision of Jesus Christ. We lack a greater experience, a greater depth of who He is. You guys remember the Burning Bush experience with Moses? At the Burning Bush experience, he has this great, great exposure to who God is. And because of that exposure, Moses is willing to overcome some of his fears and some of his own failures in the past to follow God to do what seems to be an impossible and overrated task that he is not capable of doing. It was that vision of God, that exposure to God that allowed him to do it. But after he does all of this and he leads people out and he has these great experiences leading people out of the Red Sea into the wilderness it gets tiresome again. People are complaining. He rescued them, but people are complaining all the time in the desert. And in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18, finally Moses comes to this boiling point where he says, I've had it. We're, we're, I'm trying, God. But the people, they just keep complaining and they don't get it. And I'm tired of having hope for seeing change happen in these people. You see, Moses, even though he experienced all of these other things about what God did, the signs and miracles, his past experiences, they were not sufficient for the future steps that he needed to take. The past was the past. The present is the present, and he needs more. And so what does he say in Exodus thirty-three eighteen? 18? He says, Lord, show me your glory. In other words, he says, Lord, show me more of you. Lord, draw draw me again closer to seeing you again. Expose me to who you are. See, brothers and sisters, that was his vision. The vision, the anchoring on Christ that allows us to do menial tasks, that allows us to be repetitive even though it doesn't seem fruitful as we're doing it. Just like Moses experienced in the desert. Seems like year after year, they're not getting better. Their identity is not being firmed up. They're not understanding who God is and they keep rebelling. Despite all of this, for 40 years, Moses is able to withstand it because he continually sought a deeper vision of who God was. He says, Show me your glory, God. It was enough to keep Moses in the wilderness, to keep digging and that practice, the tedious uh, ins and outs of every day to eventually lead the people to where they needed to be. But there is a fruit that also comes from anchoring one's life in Christ. You see, the house that is supposed to be built because it's built on Christ, the fruit that comes out of it is this security. The security that no matter what challenges that we face, no matter what we go through, it holds us firm. We recognize when we look at our own life that we shouldn't have gone this far. The fact that we're still here, the fact that we're still holding on, it's not a testimony to our own strength. It's a testimony to God's grip on us. This house, it looks different than other people. Other people's, their houses may be erecting higher. They may be getting things a lot faster. And it feels like we're missing out, but we're not. Because what we are looking for is a greater vision beyond finances, beyond our workplace, beyond our social relationship, beyond our leisure, beyond our daily desires, whatever won't want to do. It says you're given a greater vision for your life. Jesus Christ. You know, we see an example of this as we have the New Testament end with John, uh, the apostle of Jesus. It says that after all the great work that he did, the last days of his life are lived in exile on the island of Patmos. Can you imagine how lonely it must have been for John to have led the church and to led people and to do all of these great works and the accumulation of all of that, it amounts to this depth and this darkness of being exiled and isolated on the island of Patmos. Yet look what we find him doing in Revelation chapter 1. He says, And I was worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day even though he's by himself and even though his worship feels like, what does it matter? I'm here and I'm not, never gonna be unexiled. I'm never gonna be uh, excused of uh, all of these things that people have against me and, and why they're exiling me. He has no friends around him to comfort him. There's no point for him to saying, what's the point of worshiping God? What's the point of keeping up that practice? If I don't see any immediate compl- compensatory reward to make me feel like it's worth something but he was still doing it every week he was still doing it worshiping God even though he was by himself even though no one else is there to keep him accountable even when it feels like God is not speaking to him he was worshiping the Lord and he says on one occasion when I was worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day he says I turned to see the voice that spoke to me And as his voice speaks, he sees this image, this greater vision of who God is. And as he sees who God is, it opens up this new revelation, this new vision of here is the new Jerusalem, here is the new heavens, here is the new heavens and the earth that I'm showing you. This is why you are doing what you are doing, John. This is why you keep on that tedious task of those disciplines, of of working through all of those impediments and uh, continually anchoring yourself on the rock, Jesus Christ. As you do that, you're asking, just as Moses said, give me a glimpse more of your glory, Lord. May that be the vision that drives me. May that be the vision that leads me. May that be the vision that upholds me, that excites me. That gives me purpose for why I do my tedious disciplines. I'm not just making bricks, I'm building a beautiful cathedral, I'm not just doing the same spiritual stuff over and over again without any compensation. I'm joining God in building His kingdom. See, brothers and sisters. Let's not underrate our tedious spiritual practices. To help us to do that, may we seek Christ to be our vision that motivates us and deepens why we are committed to these disciplines, to these practices. And as we do, and we find that the fruit of that results in security, hope. Joy in Christ as He builds our life for His kingdom purposes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for blessing us with this morning that we have. To be reminded that as this pandemic, it seems like it's turning now and into an endemic. And as we anticipate a return to more normative lifestyles, May we not be too quick in trying to anchor our vision back to our old way of living. May we not limit our vision by just simply finances or just a new normal that we're going back into. But rather than that, Lord, when we keep on digging, may we not make shortcuts. May we dig through all of these impediments through our practices of digging to know You more deeply in our life. And I pray, Father, may our reward be Christ. May our reward be a greater glimpse of your glory, of who you are. May you be our vision, Lord. Thank you, Father. We commit all these things to you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.